If you want to open your Bibles up to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, it's a very short little passage, isn't it? It's only six verses. Um, in the middle of it, when you read a verse like, where a tree falls, whether to the north or the south, there it lies, you think, not a lot to work on here <laughs> as a minister, but bear with me and we will see where we go. Let me pray just as we start, okay? Lord, we do pray for understanding, for wisdom, as we look at things that were written thousands of years ago, but are still from your spirit. And Lord, may we find application to us Gentiles here in the 21st century in a country far, far away. For Lord, you speak to each and every one of us that you have created. Amen. Have you ever thought how much time you spend trying to find out what's in the future? I'm going to see if these work. I'm not going to look. I'm going to keep talking and see how we go. I use a weather map all the time. I assume a lot of you do too. Because it's a predictive thing, isn't it? It's trying to tell me what's going to happen over the next six or seven days. Tricky business trying to predict the future, isn't it? Sometimes they get it right, sometimes you don't get it quite as well. Our home buyers, how often do you ask the agent, what's the expected price? At the moment, poor old agents have no idea. Um, they can lead you quite astray, and that's because they don't know the future either. But we want to find out before we know if we have enough money to do something. Farmers, close to my heart, how often do we look at price predictions? Deciding what to plant, when to plant, how much to plant, um, all the other myriad of decisions. Funny thing about farming, you do one thing and then you wait six months to find out if it's going to be successful later on. So that whole predicting the future um, plays a really, really big part in what we know of as farming right now. Retirees, possible investors, how much time do you spend on looking at markets? getting up-to-date predictions on where the economy is going, studying graphs, company performance. Anybody invested in bitcoins or other interesting things like that? On the phone all the time, watching it go up and down as it goes, and trying to find out if we can see a trend so you know what to do in the future. Churches like ours, we do budgets. Budgets are predictions of the future, aren't they? We try very hard to make sure we have enough money for future shocks. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time trying to discern the future. We want our plans to work. We want affirmation that we've made good decisions. And we don't like unpredicted shocks that we don't see coming. And it's pretty normal. Even, you know... It's what this passage is about. In Solomon's culture, thousands and thousands of years ago, they got stuck with not knowing the future and not knowing what to do because it's, it's unknown. And they wanted to buffer against those shocks. But here's the problem. And this is what the teacher emphasizes in this passage. Four times he tells us about our ignorance of what is going to happen in the future. If you have a look at verse 2, 
He says, you know, do this investing because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. In verse 5, he says, you just don't know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in mother, mother's womb. There's physical things about this world we still don't know how they, how they come about. In verse 5 again, you can't understand the work of God if you can't understand how things work. And then farther down in verse 6, you know, he says, do things in the morning, don't be idle at night, for you do not know which will succeed. There's so much we don't know about the future. What's the biblical response to that? I love Ecclesiastes. I really do, you know. When you say, what's the biblical response about not knowing the future? You know, you'd think you'd come up with something like, well, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Ecclesiastes is much more practical. He's much more gritty, gritty, gritty. So what does he say? The biblical response to not knowing what may come about in the future is to be bold. To be bold. And he starts off with that. Um, there's songs sung about this. Did you know that? I, I, I don't know. Some of you might be old enough to remember. Storm, um, bread on the water, fire in the sky. I think it was, I can't remember, too long ago. Um, but they're really uncertain on how to translate this. Um, you know, the, the, some of the early translations said, cast your bread upon the water. Um, the NIV now says, ship your grain. So they're talking about not bread, but, but the things that you make, um, you, you make with it. Um, there was <laughs> lovely things you look up in Google. A guy says, cast your bread upon the water. Well, that was one of the ways they developed yeast for making beer in the early, in the early days. So maybe he's talking about beer making. I'm not going to go there. I don't think that's quite what it is ship your grain cast your bread this it does equal taking risk um you know if you cast your bread on the water you have no idea what's going to happen shipping your grain in the ancient cultures there's no um letters of credit there's no banking system there's no communications except by horse and by walking um it's risky business you are letting go of your goods to go overseas into another nation, another culture, hoping that they're going to give you something in return. Um, you know, you have no idea if it will work. I want to tell you a story about my father, Jack Buster. Back in 1980, uh, we were on a farm in Burke. Um, he made a decision to bring in an outside partner into his farming partner, partnership or his business. And it was called Cornerstone Christian Community. It was a Christian training center um, set up to send out local missionaries into rural towns here in Australia. It was risky, no doubt about it. He had advice from my mother, his wife, his very successful farming brother-in-law, his very successful brother who's a surgeon in the United States, that this was not a good idea. You should not bring them into your business it's one thing to have them on your farm. It's another thing to bring them into your business. But I think my father caught the vision of what may be achieved in young people's lives and how he could contribute to the kingdom of God by building into people's lives. 
And they were part of our farm for over 20 years. Believe you me, there were some extremely rough patches and some very hard times. But my father... I discovered about my father at his 50th wedding anniversary that he only farmed just so he could meet people and enjoy them and contribute to them. And it was a risky venture. That one paid off. Um, And I think, you know, the Word of God wants us to be bold because faith doesn't live in the house of certainty. If we know what's going to happen, we don't have to believe in anything. We don't need faith in anything. Faith starts where there's uncertainty. The second part of this little poem, because it is a poem, those first two verses, ship your grain across the waters, and then the second part of it, invest in seven ventures, spread your risk. Seven seven ventures, eight ventures is really good. You don't know the future But disasters will come. That's the certainty. So spread your risk among them because you don't know what may come about. I've got another story about spreading your ventures. I'm looking at my wife, Jenny, here. We um, Successful farming, we we, um, were able to contribute quite a bit to a super fund that um, we had set up. And being an astute um, investor, I thought, well... um, we invested in a citrus packing shed and a cotton gin that was in Burke, um, spreading our risk. And it was going to be a great idea because it was value-adding to what the farm was doing. And it was contributing to the, to the local community also. The trouble was it didn't spread the risk very far because everything depended upon water flowing down the Darning River. And we had three seasons of no flow. The packing shed went into bankruptcy. The cotton gin became worthless because it didn't gin any cotton for three years. Failures happen. Disasters come. Um, I discovered the difference between thinking I'd spread risk and what I actually had spread because everything depended upon the one thing. Well, the second way we can respond to not knowing the future, what the Bible says, be flexible. Now, he puts it in a poem, and this is the one about the tree falling down. And it doesn't sound like much, but it's a very short poem, and it gives two opposite ends. So the first one is there's these hard realities of life. You just can't get around. Great big rain, cloud looking black and dark, full of water. What's it going to do? It's going to drop rain on the earth. That is what it's going to do. You cannot stop it. A tree falls down. It's, there's a picture of a tree later on. Um, it's a big one. You can't move it. It's just physically too big. You've got to deal with it where it lies. There are these hard realities. We might want them to be different, but they're not. A child born with a severe health defect. Your affections that you give to someone that are not returned. It rains on your special day. You want it to be different. You so want it to be different, but it just isn't. And at the other end, these hard realities we come up against, at the other end is the whole uncertainty of what if? What if I plant too early? 
What if I plant, if I harvest too late? What if I'm not good at it? What if they don't like me? What if I don't pass? What if my children muck up? The fear of the unknown can just so paralyze us that we don't go out. We don't interact with people. We don't do things because we don't know what might happen. And he's given us a caution between these two that, you know, you don't let it just paralyze you. I heard a really good story on Wednesday at our good friend Ross's funeral. Doug, you're here, you good, brave man. You stood up and you told us about your dad. And I remember this. Doug said when his dad received that diagnosis of, that, of his terminal tumor, he accepted it. He accepted it. That's how Doug said it. And it didn't defeat him. Doug told us that Ross got on to do what he could do. And I think that just shows up that biblical response. Yes, this is the reality of life that God has given us. But I don't have to do nothing or just fall apart. It takes flexibility. It takes adaptability to walk between accepting the hard reality that life brings and still doing what needs to be done in the face of uncertainty. There's a lovely little story. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. It's not a very well-known story. Oh, it's not much of a story, actually. It's, um, it's a little comment. So this, the place this happens is... I'm just going to find it now. Uh, it's Luke chapter 22, down at verse 32. So it's in amongst this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples... Um, they've, they've had the Last Supper or First Communion, whatever you want to call it, Passover together, and they're finishing up. And Jesus is talking to them just before they're going to head out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus gets arrested in his final few days. And there's that really famous line, you know, where um, Peter gets up and he you know, he's full of bluster and he's brave as, and he says, Lord, I'm bold. I'm ready to go to prison and to death with you. And Jesus says to him, well, Pete, 24 hours before the rooster crows today, you'll end up denying me three times. And then in Luke, Luke records, Jesus just changes tack absolutely, 180 degrees. And in verse 35, Jesus then asks his disciples, and he says, When I sent you out without a purse or a bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Uh, if you remember, right when Jesus first chose the 12 disciples, he, they were still up in um, Nazareth and Capernaum, up in the northern part of, the, of, the, of Israel. He sent them out in pairs, and he said, We want to tell the people about the kingdom of God. So he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take any food. Don't take spare sandals. Don't take a cloak. Go to towns. If people accept you and invite you in, stay there and speak to them. Cast out demons. Heal them. Tell them about the kingdom of God. If they don't accept you, take your sandals off. Whack the dirt on the ground in front of them and go on to the next town. And that's what he's talking about. So he says, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. 
Now, you would expect, you would think, Jesus would now say, well, if I've done it once, I'll do it again. And if you trust me, you won't lack anything. What does he say? Have a look there in verse 36. They said nothing. And then he said to them, well, now, if you have a purse, take it. Also, if you have a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go get one of them. And then he says, you know, I'll tell you that it must be fulfilled to me that this time is reaching its fulfillment. He tells them to be prepared. There's change coming. He is going away. He is going to be arrested. He knew change was coming. And he knew that what had happened before was not going to be suitable for the change of circumstances that's coming now. Take sandals. Take a money purse. Take a food bag. Get a sword for security. The situation has changed. He's encouraging them to be flexible. Isn't that fascinating? There's a, there's a demand on us to be flexible with the circumstances that life brings us. And then the teacher sums up our situation. We don't understand how our world works and fits together. We understand a lot of it, and we understand a lot more now in the 21st century than they did in pre-BC. I can't remember when this was written. You know, but if we still don't understand how the world works that God has given us, then how can we know the purpose or the reason behind things? The certainty of life, the certainty of life is that life is uncertain. And we don't know what the future may hold. And we can't understand all that God has done. But you see, the teacher accepts this. There are so many unknowns that can make our plans uncertain. But he sums it up in this little poem. And again, it's a poem. Um, because you can see it, you know, it talks about the morning and the evening. There are these correlations between it, you know. So in the morning, do something. Don't be just paralyzed by uncertainty. So in the morning, get going. And in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. I don't know how many times my parents told me this, this sentence right here. You know, when you just want to blob in front of the TV. <laughs> I say, well, the Bible says, you know, don't be idle in the evening. <laughs> but it is. It's, you just don't know what will succeed. That's what he's saying. Do something. Try it. Be flexible. Be bold. It's not easy in our culture to live with not knowing. It always seems better to play it safe. But as a result, we may miss God's given opportunities. This passage urges us, precisely because of the uncertainties, precisely because you don't know what God will prosper to use every opportunity to work boldly but wisely and entrust the results to the Lord for he cares for you let me pray and then we're going to close with a final song Lord with the way this pandemic is going in the world we seem to be more and more inclined to be more and more cautious more and more uncertain 
But here in your word, we, we read and are encouraged to be bold, to be flexible. Lord, give us wisdom as we consider our opportunities, our options, how we might care for those that are dependent upon us. Lord, may we find a way through not to be paralyzed by the uncertainties, not to be rash and do things that are just stupid, but to find that way to trust you, to go with faith into what looks uncertain, trusting you for the results. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 